Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. Every time I think of you, I give my thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began this good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished, when Christ returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledgement and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that the day of Christ's return, uh, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteousness character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Come on, Ryan. Howdy. Come on. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. You look like, um, you know, a dude that's been surfing in Hawaii. I've been bumming it out for a few months. In Hawaii. As some of you might know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But no, you seriously, man, you like went over, you spent a few months in Hawaii. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, I was on a coffee farm. A coffee it's farm. It's pretty cool. It's okay to be jealous if you yeah. want to. We are. We are. Kona, 100% Kona bean. 100% Kona. Come on, yeah. man. You coffee I mean, people know that, what that means. It's the o- See, as Christians, it's the only addiction we can talk about. That everyone, that people laugh and applaud, actually. I can't condone like, it. Like, if you're but... like, you know what? Cocaine. Everyone's like, boo. Coffee. Yeah. You know? So it's weird like that. It's weird like that. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for reading scripture. I appreciate it. All right. See ya. You're not going to hear the word cocaine mentioned very often on a Sunday. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, awesome, guys. Hey, I hope you guys had a great Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? All right. How many of you guys had the kind of Christmas that you needed a vacation day from? Anybody? Okay. And how many of you guys had the like uneventful Christmas where you just felt so rested you're ready to rock and roll? Right. That's me. That's me. But either way, it's good. It's creating a memory. It's creating a memory. And uh, man, I, uh, I was so thankful. We had wonderful Christmas Eve services at uh, all of our campuses. Pastor Wes was preaching out in Ogallala, all right? So that's exciting. So man, if you guys showed up out there, um, Wes was bringing it. Pastor Dave was bringing it in North Platte. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then here we are today. Does any of you guys have a problem remembering that today was Sunday? Didn't it feel a little weird? Felt a little weird. My wife yesterday was reminding me the whole day. Hey, Jeff, by the way, today's Saturday. Tomorrow's Sunday, right? And as we went to bed, she was like, you do realize tomorrow's Sunday, right? Are, are you good to go? Are you good to go? It just felt, it was just, it was the cadence of it uh, was off just a little bit. Hey, look, I hope you have your uh, Bible with you. Either you brought the analog version, right? Or you've got the digital version in your phone, okay? And I want you to make sure you have one because that passage that Ryan just read, we are going to break that down, but I'm not going to be putting it all up on the screen. So you're going to want to be using the YouVersion app. I already put all those sermon notes out there. 
click on those three dots, go to events, and you can select New Life Church. You'll see a pin for Ogallala, North Platte, and Kearney. Uh, you can select the one that's for your campus, and that will really help us out. Uh, if you're online, you can use any of those, okay? So thanks for joining us at all of our campuses, including our online campus, which is continuing to increase, and uh, we're going to get ready to roll out some new stuff here pretty soon on that campus. It's going to be really exciting with uh, our campus pastor, Pastor Robert, all right? So um, look, Paul is writing here to the church in Philippians, okay? And um, he's writing to them from prison, and a lot of people believe that he was writing to them from prison in Rome, and I was there a few years ago. And I, as, I, as I walked down into this dungeon prison and then thought I was at the bottom and then went down into the actual lower part, um, my heart was stirred. As I was starting to reflect the scriptures that Paul was writing from this location that we believe is the prison that he was held in at that time. And I'm going to tell you right now, there was nothing inspiring about that place. It's cold. It's damp. Even on the hottest days in Rome, it was a wonderful place to be because it had like air conditioning, right? So I couldn't imagine what it would be like on a cold day. It would only have gotten colder and colder with the hole cut in the ceiling that they would lower him down into this dungeon from. And that would be the only way he would be able to get in and out of that place. Nothing inspiring about that location at all. But when you read this passage, wow, is it inspiring, what kind of attitude does Paul have while in prison? Not the kind of prison where he's watching cable TV, getting a master's degree, eating three solid meals a day, sleeping on a bunk, right? Uh, getting, getting to go out into the yard and work out. We're not talking about that kind of place. We're talking about a dungeon prison, like way down in there by himself, not a lot of other prisoners around concept. Here he is, and he's writing with such enthusiasm, such passion. He has not lost his love for the Lord. He has not lost his passion for the Lord. And that's one of the things I love about the church of Philippi, is that they were walking in the footsteps of their leader who had gone before them. They were actually living it out, although they were not in prison. They were still living this out. And you can tell that this group of people, he obviously loves them with a deep passion. And we can also see that the Apostle Paul sees some very, very special things in them. He sees some things in them, like almost like a parent would see in their children. And he's wanting to call it out of them. And he's wanting them to like embrace who they are and kind of lean into the gift of God and this special anointing upon their life. He even tells them that you're joining me in this special favor of God. Like, look, I want you to see yourself the way that God sees you. So he's, he's encouraging them to do something. He's encouraging them to maximize the waiting. The waiting between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. In fact, in this passage, he refers to the second coming of Christ more than once. More than once he does this. So it's obvious that he's telling them, I want you to maximize your time in the waiting, which is what this series has been all about. And it's the reason why I'm here today to wrap up the series. There's something about this series that burns inside of my heart. That, Lord, guys, we live in the in-between. In-between the first and the second coming. Um, but we live at a time where we are closer to the second coming today than ever before. 
That's a duh. That's an obvious. My grandparents were talking about the second coming of Christ. So there is really no reason why I shouldn't be talking about it as well. But it's not just that we should be referring to it and, di- and discussing it, but we should be living our lives in the waiting of it. Yes. It's easy to drift in this world when you forget about the fact that there is a second coming. It's easy to drift when all you do year after year is celebrate the first coming. Easy to drift. But when you get your eyes focused on the in-between and your eyes are now focused on the what's coming next, that starts to drive you. Therefore, how should I live? And I want to go back into this passage and kind of break down a few things. First off, right off the bat, in verse 1, this is the, this is the sense that I'm getting from the heart of, of Paul, is that he's going, look, in the waiting, strive for unity. Now, it doesn't come right out and say that. So if you've got your Bible, you're going to notice that he doesn't even mention that. Okay? He doesn't even mention the word unity, but look what he is focused on. Okay? Strive for unity. Notice, notice what he does here. He didn't come right out and say the word unity in the church, but notice what he does. Paul, he does this. He doesn't elevate the church leaders. When he's speaking to them, he, he says these words to them. Look, I'm writing this to all of God's holy people. All of God's holy people. He's writing it to the church. All of God's holy people. And then watch what he does. Including the spiritual leaders. Including them. I don't know about you, but as a spiritual leader, I would want to be included in that list. Right? Isn't it, isn't it unfortunate, though, that there's a lot of places where the spiritual leaders would not be able to be included in that list? That's just not who we want to be at New Life. But he's writing to them, and he, he kind of lumps them together as one body. He doesn't elevate the church leaders above others. Like you see this happening a lot today. Like, hey, pastor, you got a great church, man. Wait, way to go, man. You're awesome. Paul wouldn't have said it that way. Paul would have said, hey, the church of New Life is an amazing church in spite of the leaders. <laughs> Hey, the church of New Life is an incredible church. From the person who works in the nursery to the lead pastor, he he lumps them together in one big group, and he goes, you guys are a great church, binding them together. This is the model of the New Testament church. This is the model of the church that Jesus established when he left to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is the kind of church he was going after. Now, I do want to point out the fact that Paul recognizes in an obvious way, that every organization, including the church, it it needs leaders. So he calls out the leaders separately, but he doesn't call them out in an elevating way. He calls them out as you are part of the body. And so he pulls them all back together, and then he gives everyone the credit for the amazing things that God's doing in the church and through the church. Isn't that the way we want God to see our church? That's the way I want God to see our church. I'm not trying to lead in such a way, and our pastors are definitely not trying to lead in such a way that when God sees new life, he sees us. Look at me, God. Look how good we're doing as leaders. No, man, I I recognize and I pray for you guys often. God, this is your church, not my church. God, these are your people. They're not my people. You guys know that? That that's the heart of the spiritual leaders um, that that you have here at New Life Church, and it's really, that all comes from my heart as well. But man, I just really sense that Paul was like driving that home here. Hey, spiritual leaders, don't ever forget, like you, you are not better than, although you will be held in account to in a greater way, 
But you are not better than, like, build up the people. Work with the people. You're, you're doing this thing together. So therefore, strive for the unity. It was the unity that was fueling their success. And if we protect unity, there isn't anything that we can't do together, church. Amen. There's nothing. It's nothing. Like we can dream whatever dream God puts in our heart, and it doesn't matter how big it is, we can do it together if we strive for unity. So I'm calling all new lifers to strive for our cause, to see people find Jesus and lives changed. And if we all lean into that, right, then there is nothing we can't do. If we lean into that, the impact will be substantially greater than we could ever imagine when our day of leadership is done. More people will have found Jesus. More lives will have been changed if we do it together. And this is what Jesus wanted for his church in the waiting. Romans chapter 15 drives home this thought even more. What, pay attention, right, to this scripture. It's on the screens as well as on your phone. May God, okay, notice that. Notice that. Say those two words with me. May God. Okay, now notice this. May God, comma, right, who gives this patience and encouragement comma. So basically what we can say is this. Skip the who gives this patience and encouragement for a moment and pick it back up with help you live. You can literally say it like this. May God help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Notice that. May God help you live in complete harmony with each other, which by the way isn't a like a an option it's fitting for, meaning like it is designed for a believer to live in complete harmony with other believers because it's fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can do something together. Then you can join together with one voice, praising God uh, and, uh, and giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we get to do. Out of the harmony, we get to lift up the name of Jesus. And when we lift up the name of Jesus, people get drawn to Jesus. But this is who Jesus was. A very famous passage of Scripture when you think about Jesus and unity is John uh, chapter 17. And in that chapter, Jesus is praying for the unity of believers. Okay? And, and he's saying, hey, Father, may, may, may believers be one with one another as I leave this earth. May they be one with one another as you and I are one. But that's a very hard thing to do. If you've been around church any length of time, you'll know that one of the things the enemy loves to do is he loves to attack the unity of the church and the unity of the believers. He loves to attack that place. It was at the very core of Christ. You see it at the very core of this passage. And it's super hard, and we can't do it on our own. We can create unity between two people for a season of time, but then conflict rises up and we scatter. Then we get distracted and we move on. We can maintain it for a period of time, but we, it's hard for us to maintain it forever. And that's what I love about this Romans passage that drives home the heart of God that Paul, I think, was driving home the Philippian church, which is in verse 5, and I think you got it because we highlighted it, but it said that God will help you live this out. God will help you live this out. It's not something you and me can do on our own. But when Christ becomes the center of our life, when Christ becomes the center of our church, now something can happen that can't happen if we are at the center of our life and if we are at the center of our church. So Jesus doesn't just pray for unity in John 17. He also says, I'll help you. I'll help you. 
If you're in conflict with another believer, he can help you. He's probably already helping you. He's probably helping you by convicting you. (laughs) Hey, look, you're wrong. Are you willing to admit that, though? (laughs) Right? He's probably trying to help you by those proddings of, like, like, that uneasiness. He's probably trying to help you by those thoughts that keep coming to your mind, just allowing them to keep coming. Why? So that eventually maybe you'll get the point and you'll be like, man, I need to go reconcile with those people. But he'll also help us in future conflict. Conflict is going to come. There is no way to get around it. There's always going to be conflict in the church. But what you and me have to strive for is we have to believe the best in one another. We have to believe the best before assuming the worst. Believe the best. Like, I know that person loves God. I'm not sure why we have such a conflict right now. Let's work it out. I know that person, you know, uh, has the fruit of the Spirit in their life. I'm not sure why we have such a conflict. Let's figure out how to work this out. Believing the best before we assume the worst. And if we do that, then in the waiting, we are preparing for the unity of heaven while we are striving for the unity of the believer here on earth. In our waiting... Let's strive for unity. Secondly, though, in our waiting, in verses 4 through 6, he he drives home this idea that in the waiting, here's what we need to do. Faithfully tell others about the good news. Faithfully keep telling others about the good news of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this, uh, that the Philippian church had been doing something profound in verse 5. Okay, If you look in your Bible, what does it say? They were spreading the good news about Christ from the time you had first heard it until now. That from the the moment they had heard the good news, they had kept sharing the good news. They were still excited about the good news of Jesus at the writing of this as they were the very first day that they heard the good news. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was said about us? Like no matter how old you got, no matter how long the journey went, your excitement for Jesus was still the same? Isn't that hard to do? Super hard to do. Why? I mean, just look at this world we live in. Like, we get excited about some things, and we can't stop talking about it, right? You get excited about something, your favorite sports team. No matter what season it is, if it's football, if it's basketball, if it's hockey, the best sport ever, then you, you get excited about it, right? And you can't stop talking about it. Or a movie that you just watched. Man, did you guys see that movie? It's amazing. I promise I won't give it away. But, man, you got to go. Here's the reasons why. Right? Or that vacation that you went on, you can't stop talking about it. Or when people get new puppies, they can't stop talking about them. It's picture after picture after picture of the puppy, 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 puppy. Look at the puppy smiling. Puppy's not smiling. It's the same dull face of the dog every time, over and over and over again. Oh, so cute. Oh, look at this. This never look at the dog frowning. You know, it's never. So he's looking at the puppy. You know, okay, that's enough. All right, you get my point. They get excited about it and they can't stop talking about it. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The excitement wears off. And what do they start? They stop doing. They stop talking about it. It's the same thing that happens when something's new in your life. Right? You got something new. You can't stop playing with it, looking at it, or thinking about it. Like right now, some of you, it's that Christmas gift you just got. You can't stop thinking about it. Some of you right now, you've got a problem with your hands because you're like, I got to get back to that game. Like, <laughs> How, how long is it going to be? i got to get back. i got to get back. i got to get back. Right? Some of you right now, you're turning the ring. Yep, that's right. My precious. You're like, this is my new ring. The one ring to rule them all. Right? Or whatever it is. Or you're, right now, you're touching the keys to that new car. Right now. That's what you're doing. Oh, yeah. When do I get to touch that? When do I get to drive it again? 
No matter what it is, you're thinking about it, right? But what's going to happen? It's going to get old. It's going to break. It's going to eventually sit on a shelf. You're going to forget about it, or you're going to move on. This is just who we are. But the Apostle Paul, he was praising this church for not losing their excitement for Jesus and that Jesus hadn't become just another thing. But what I want you to notice is this. This is now after this church had been in existence for 10 years. We're not talking about a group of people that believed in Jesus for six months or a year. This is now a decade. A decade now and 10 years later, he's still able to say to them, way to go, guys. You're still as excited about Jesus as you were on the very first day. Could that be said about us today? I hope that it would be. If it's not, then what do we got to do to bring that back into alignment? How in the world do you maintain a passion for Jesus in the waiting? Where there's so many things that distract us. How do you do it? Look, as you look through the book of Philippians, you find these things out about this church. Let me just highlight three things that you can obviously see about these people that Paul saw about these people that helped them maintain their passion for Jesus in the waiting. Okay? While in the waiting, here's what they did. They stayed connected. They stayed connected. When you stay connected, you stay excited. What you're connected to, you're excited about. If you're connected to a group of people or a cause or a movement, right, or whatever kind of club you're a part of, you're excited about that because you're connected to them. You're meeting with them every, all the time. You're going out to lunch with them. If you're connected with a group of people, you're excited about those people. You're connected with a cause. You see what happens? Like you're excited about something. And one of the things that the enemy tries to do all the time is to disconnect you from the church. It's not even so much about your unity, it's just disconnect you. Get you out of the flow of fellowship. Because if he can get you out of the flow of fellowship, then he can affect your excitement for Christ. If he affects your excitement for Christ, guess what you stop doing? Telling others about Jesus. Because what you're excited about, you talk about. So what we're we're connected to, we're excited about. So if you want to remain faithful in the waiting, stay connected to other believers and the local church. Here's secondly what you see with these, this group of people, though. What you give to, you're excited about. Did you know that financially they supported Paul? He even talks about it in this passage that we read here. He goes about your partnership. And one of the things he was talking about in their consistent partnership over the last decade was the, what they were giving to. Like, what we give to, we, are, we, we stay excited about. Like, if you got a lot of money wrapped up in the stock market, when was the last time you looked at your TD Ameritrade app? When was the last time you looked at your Robinhood app? If you've got a bunch of crypto, Bitcoin, and, and other, other coins, then when was the last time you looked at your crypto wallet? Right? You look at that kind of stuff all the time. Because what you're excited about, you, you're looking at. And where your money is, there your heart is. So if you want to remain excited about Jesus in the waiting, can I just tell you, it has nothing to do about me and my gain. It has everything to do with you and your gain. If you want to stay excited about Jesus in the waiting, faithfully tithe. It's that simple. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to get because it's not going to affect, it's not going to affect me. Like I, my trust is in the Lord, right? It's going to affect you. If you want to remain excited, what you give to, you will remain passionate about. And what will happen from that? You'll naturally tell, be telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. But thirdly, what you see about this church is what you pray, what you pray about, you're excited about. You see in this book more than once, how the people have been praying for him. They've been a partner with him in prayer. Beautiful example of that. 
Right? What we pray about, we're excited about. My grandparents' generation was a praying generation. You guys agree with me? Yeah. I mean, the praying generation. And one, one of the things that they were passionate about was missions. My grandparents were passionate about missions and what God was doing around the world. Why were they so passionate about it? Why did they talk about it all the time, all the way until the very last days of their life? Why did they talk about it? How did, why did that affect me so much? It's because they were praying about it. And what you pray about, you stay passionate about. What you pray about, you stay excited about. So if you want to remain excited about Jesus and the waiting, pray for his kingdom to advance in your heart. Pray for his kingdom to advance in this world. Those are the kinds of things that if, if you're going to remain faithful about telling others about Jesus, then you've got to remain passionate for Jesus. And these are the ways that I see this church remaining passionate about Jesus. Okay, but lastly, in our waiting, the waiting between the first coming and now this second coming as we're eagerly awaiting Christ's return, then in verses 9 and 10, here's what we have to do. we got to keep growing. Come on, someone say keep growing. Keep growing. All right, at Christmas, did you grow? That's the different kind of grow I'm talking about. All right, that's a different growing, all right? We're not talking about that kind of growing. We're talking about a spiritual growing here. Right In verse 9, this is what he says to them. He goes, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, that's the New Living Translation. Okay, That, you're, that you would increase, that, that your love will overflow more and more. And then it says, and that, as if it's two separate things. I just want you to know, when I, I, I read multiple different versions of this passage. Most versions don't say it that way. But I like the New Living Translation as an as a overall general. So instead of inserting a different verse in there, just out of the integrity of the message, I left it the New, the new Living. But I do want you to know that most translations refer to this line here uh, in a different way. And they, they talk about it from the, the, pers- the perspective that it, as you grow in your knowledge and your understanding of Jesus, it increases a love that starts to overflow. It's like a natural outflow of growing in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus isn't a spiritual arrogance. Or growing in your knowledge and your understanding of Jesus doesn't become something that makes you socially awkward. Or growing in your knowledge and your understanding doesn't make you a person that is you know, on this earth but so heavenly minded you know earthly good. No, it says it just the opposite. Growing in your knowledge and your understanding of Jesus has a natural outflow of a love that overflows for Christ. And as it overflows for Christ, it overflows for others. And others see that love for God, and they see that love for others. And so Paul is saying, in your waiting, in the waiting time, keep growing in your understanding and your knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that we're never, ever supposed to stop growing, that there was something innately designed inside of every single human being to want to keep growing in their knowledge and their understanding of Jesus. And I think that's the reason why he designed our bodies the way he designed them. Did you realize that there's two parts of your body that never stop growing? And it's not your belly. It's your nose and your ears. And that every time you look into the mirror, you have to be reminded as the older we get, the bigger these ears are gonna get and the bigger this snoz is gonna get. You may not like it, but that's what happened. It was like in our young adult years, our bones all of a sudden got to this point where the body was like, no, you don't have to grow anymore. 
and those fat cells and muscle cells, you don't have to reproduce anymore. Okay, I'm thankful that my fat cells aren't reproducing anymore. That doesn't mean they can't grow more, though. They can stretch, but they're not reproducing. So at least let's thank the Lord for that, all right? Because it could get a whole lot worse, people, all right? But the older that we get, unfortunately, but as a reminder, a nose and our ears are going to keep growing. And every day you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And Every day it grows a little bit and you don't even recognize it. But then all of a sudden one day when you're, when you're old and you're, you're getting to those last days, the waiting room of heaven stage, and you're able to look back at your youthful picture, you will see that over the time there's been growth. I find that really interesting in light of the fact that in our spiritual lives, you may not always notice the growth. It may be something that is kind of obscured, that the, the, it's so minute at times that you don't see these micro changes that are taking place. There are moments when then big changes happen, but most of the spiritual growth is just micro movements that are taking place. And then all of a sudden one day you look at your life and you look at who you were and where you are and you stand there and you go, God, it was only by your grace. It was only by your mercy, right? We're supposed to have an appetite, an unquenchable appetite to keep growing in the, the knowledge and the understanding of God. The problem is we keep sabotaging our appetite. Anybody sabotage their appetite over the, over the Christmas holiday? Any of you guys kind of go, I know, I know a big turkey's coming or a big ham's coming or a big roast beef is coming, but I just can't stay out of the cookies. <laughs> or is that just me? Right? We sabotage it. and We do the same thing spiritually. We sabotage this appetite for growing in the knowledge and understanding of God by eating the junk of this world or by maintaining a schedule that is so far blown out that we don't even have time for the spiritual appetite. And this is why so many in the church are so spiritually anemic. So church, we got to get back to a healthy spiritual diet of God's word, of prayer, of reading books about God's word and about the principles of God, about weekend worship, worshiping online when we have to and when we want to. And for some of you, that's where you're at right now. And praise God that you join us online. Life groups and serving in ministry. We gotta re you got to remind yourself all the time, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. we got to keep growing because there's a promise to this. If we keep growing in our knowledge and our understanding of Christ, in verse 10, Paul wrote these words. Look with me in your own Bible. He says this, for I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters. I don't want you just to grow in your knowledge of God in the frivolous things. I want you to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of God in the things that really matter. Why? So that, read this with me. Right? From your own, your own Bible right there. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Again, in the waiting, here's what I want to happen. While you're waiting for the second coming, grow in the knowledge of understanding of God and what really matters so that you can live pure and blameless lives. I don't know about you. How many of you guys want to live a pure and blameless life before the Lord? Amen? Amen? It's gonna, one of the ways that's going to happen is as we keep our eyes focused on growing in the knowledge and the understanding of Christ, leaning into his word, leaning into prayer, leaning into worship with one another. And if we keep growing in our understanding of Jesus and his kingdom, it will empower us to live those pure and blameless lives 
in the waiting. Man, that's good news. I love that. So I want to wrap this series up, and I want to wrap this message up by praying for you the very same thing that that Paul was praying for the church of Philippi. The very same thing, that in the waiting that this would happen. Verse 11, it's on the screens. May you always, church, be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life, not by what you do good, by what he does good, by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. The prayer that he had was much longer than that. It started, I think, the verse before it or something like this, but this was part of it. It just kind of, it kind of jumped off at me. And the reason why it jumped off at me is because many times we think in Christianity it's about what I do. And I wanted you to focus in at the end of this message, the end of this series, about what he does. Only Jesus can produce this in you. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. It's by him that good things happen in our hearts. It's by him that we maintain this passion. It's by him that we can live in unity. It's by him that we can keep growing. It's by him. So what does that mean for us then? This is what it means. This last Sunday of the year, last Sunday of the series, the Sunday after Christmas, open up your heart and let God fill you with his Holy Spirit. Open up your heart and say, Holy Spirit, fill me more. Because it's from him filling you that all of these good things start to happen. Open up your heart and let God's word fill you. You're like, well, man, sometimes it just feels like I'm reading. It's okay. It's a meal that day. You know? Some meals meals taste better than others at times. But But we keep eating. Why? Because our appetite is still there. So don't sabotage your spiritual appetite with all the other things in this world. Stay hungry for God's word and the knowledge of God. But but guys, look, this morning, open up your heart to God in the waiting. Open up your heart to God in the waiting right now, okay? And this is what you'll start to see in your life. You'll start to see see the fruit of your salvation. And others will start to see it as well. So let's strive for unity. Let's stay excited about Jesus. Jesus. And let's keep growing in our knowledge and our understanding of him. That's our mission. Amen? Amen. And if we do that in the waiting, guess what? When the second coming happens, there will be no surprise. There'll be no surprise. And that in this waiting, we will maximize it. And that's what I want said about you. So why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you. Lord, in in this moment of time. We're here. The first coming of Christ is so fresh upon our minds. We just came through Christmas. We do this year after year, Lord. Thank you for that tradition that reminds us of your first coming. But Lord, from now on, may your first coming also remind us that if your first coming happened, the second coming is definitely going to happen. And let us find great hope in that, not fear. Let us find great hope in that. But Lord, not just hope, let us lean in and live our lives in the waiting in such a way that we bring glory to you. It would bring honor to your name. That Lord, 
if another epistle was written about New Life Church, may the things that were said about the Philippian church, may they be said about us. That we were a people that lived in unity with each other. That we were a people that were faithfully telling others because we were excited about the good news of Jesus in us. And that we were a people that never stopped growing in our knowledge and our understanding of who you are. And that, Lord, that you, you led us. You took over. You, you filled us. And as you filled us, then the love for you, it overflowed. And that others in the community were being transformed and changed. And that the church was growing and the kingdom was advancing. And Lord, while we have breath in the waiting, may we be a part of advancing your kingdom in our heart and in our community. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.